0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Hope TBI, where you, as our audience, are embraced as hopesters. You can find us at www.hopeTBI.com. This episode is called The Silent Tsunami and Hurricane. Have you ever stood in a body of water with waves, like an ocean, a lake, a wave pool? Have you ever been just bobbing along in the water, steadying yourself, and then a wave comes and hits you in the face without warning? Do you remember how it took your breath away momentarily? Do you remember how it caused a quick shock to your system that just really got your attention? Have you had multiple waves hit you in your face over and over and you felt like you couldn't escape and you had that small sense of desperation before regrouping and getting your balance again or have you been underwater long enough to feel panic about not being able to breathe or suddenly aware of your limitation to hold your breath any longer before you got to the top of the surface. That is what it is like to feel an emotional tsunami or hurricane in the days, weeks, months, and even years after navigating a life trauma. I'm here to talk a little bit about the mental health changes that can take place after a life-changing trauma. The topic that is rarely discussed is how we can be impacted by changes to personality, tolerance levels, and behavior activity. Focusing on the positive, an attitude of gratitude, being grateful for life as we know it, and appreciating our ability to traverse our new normal, it certainly does have its place. There's a time to do that. However, that place seems to disappear when we are hit with that tsunami of emotions that no one really enjoys, yet comes without warning. Feelings of irritability, fear, anger, and rage they cycle together and they blend when enduring the ongoing process of recovery after a trauma. This is often a topic of concern with those specifically who have sustained a brain injury as part of the trauma they have experienced. Now, I want to speak about this candidly. I just want to be straight up. I fully understand that we as a society cannot and should not use our experiences and emotions as an excuse to treat others poorly. That's completely unacceptable. I also fully understand that when there is a biological change or a chemical change in a person's brain, this can cause their behavior, moods, and emotions to change involuntarily without them consciously choosing to make or allow that to happen. These changes can affect different folks in different ways and are as varied as a brain injury itself. After all, if you have seen a brain injury, you have only seen one brain injury. And if you have seen many brain injuries, you can only say you have seen one brain injury still because they are also very different. Yes, some symptoms cross each other. We share similar traits, similar symptomology. And having some of those symptoms even crosses with other diagnoses. So it can be really challenging sorting out what we're dealing with, not just as individuals, but for providers to be able to efficiently diagnose as well. Some things, though, not all of us talk about. We just silently endure. We silently plunder through the shame of the emotions that hit us like a wave to the face sometimes a wave that is repeatedly hitting us and not allowing us to catch our breath. Now, I want to bust up a myth about something here, too. Let's blow it out of the water. While I do believe, truly believe, that our thinking and focus can influence our moods and behaviors, And it can be beneficial to think positively or with hope, forgiveness, and even tolerance. Just because you think positively doesn't mean you can automatically handle more stress. Let me repeat that. Just because you think positively doesn't mean you can automatically handle more stress just because your emotions have been normalized and managed does not mean that they can't experience bouts or moments of inability to control those emotions that may come on suddenly or linger substantially our instincts to survive, and to overcome, help us to survive, but not necessarily to thrive. Thriving involves being able to manage unexpected events, unexpected emotions, and mental health changes as they occur. And I can tell you that when that part of you has changed or is unpredictable, it can be exhausting. This episode will be focusing not on the optimistic of positivity, but the pessimistic side of recovery, that part that not everyone readily talks about openly the part they tell you to ignore. And not many providers bother even asking about either. I first noticed that I had irritability that was different as I lay in the neuro rehab Center. I was acutely aware of the sounds, lights, and the activity around me. The roommate that I shared a room with kept the TV on what seems like all the time. I just wanted silence. There was a staff person whose thighs swished every time they came in the room or walked past my room when they were in the hall. Just That sound and the way it hit my ears was maddening. My ability to process that sound just wasn't there. The annoying swish, swish, swish. The brightness of the lights felt like the sun on my face. And not in a warm, comforting way either. I loved having the lights in the room dimmed. And when they were suddenly turned up, which seemed to be often, that would cause not only instant nausea, but a deep-seated anger to well up inside of me that made me want to destroy everything around me And yet, I was in no physical shape to be able to even push myself up in bed, let alone get out of bed. I was in too much pain physically, and I was unsure how to communicate my needs at that time in a really efficient way. Words were hard I also felt like I struggled with my talking. I just had a problem of getting what I was thinking to come out of my mouth. Those words I could mentally see, being able to change form and just speak them seemed like a tumultuous challenge and sometimes just wasn't even possible. I often found myself not being able to form the words I saw and translating them into actual speech. A real frustrating experience. I remember the first moment of fear I was aware of having. It was during one of my many assessments I barely remember the entire conversation. Yet one question stands out. A provider asked me if I felt ready to go home and if I had kids at home. I remember thinking, I can't go home. Look at me. I can't even take care of myself. What kind of question is that? I mean, I couldn't do anything on my own. I couldn't multitask. I couldn't walk. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. Or bathe myself even. Heck, I couldn't even go to the bathroom on my own. Or get out of bed on my own. I couldn't do anything without help. How was I going to go home? How was going home, going to work? How was I going to take care of my kids? My fear came in like I was in a barrel and a gush of water was rushing over my claustrophobic self so quickly around me that I felt like I was about to drown. And even though that question and me answering probably only took moments, it felt like hours as I thought about how to answer. I was concerned that if I said I wasn't ready, admitted that my level of competency and ability to care for my kids didn't currently exist as even a remote possibility. I feared that my kids would be taken from me by the state for my inability to care for them. I couldn't rationalize at that time that I had a husband, also their biological father, at home and other family support. I couldn't rationalize that The provider was just checking my confidence level in leaving the organized acute care I was receiving to care at home. Needless to say, I wasn't ready to come home physically, not by a long shot. In fact, I shouldn't have even gone to neuro rehab at that point because I was not mended enough medically and physically to do so. But there I was. Mentally, I really wanted to be home and desperately wanted things to go back to normal, even though my brain felt like scrambled eggs that had been thrown against the wall. I believed if I just tried hard enough put in some real effort i could make it work i tried to convince myself of that i could push through all the pain surely and somehow some way appear competent i don't recall the end of the conversation however I do recall the feeling I had around the conversation as a whole. Fear. Absolute abject fear. Fear of losing more than what I had already lost. And anger about not being able to trust my provider. Who I now saw as my enemy. As I was convinced... They were secretly trying to break up my family. I had too many things going on with my body to really even be able to think rationally at that point. And I'm sure the medications I was on influenced that line of thought as well. I certainly was not in a place to make any kind of decisions, let alone a decision about being ready to do anything. Now, I know now, looking back, that the line of thinking I had at that time was completely irrational and not realistic on my part. I just wasn't understanding the purpose of the conversation at that time. My reasoning and processing skills, after all, had been damaged and I just couldn't seem to wrap my mind around anything but the paranoia and fear that consumed me in that moment. I was so focused on trying to be the me I used to be, not fully realizing that person ceased to exist the moment I became injured. Even with the assessment questions, that they had me fill out and asked me about. I didn't know how to answer those either. Do I answer those questions based on who I knew myself to be before the injury and what I was capable of doing before? Or do I answer them based on my broken self now? I was truly confused. I wanted to be honest But I didn't know which part was honest. And I realized both parts were honest, but you're only giving one choice of true or false. How in the world can you even begin to answer something like that with a true or false? It was truly exhausting. And confusing. And it just made me feel worse. Despite all that, though, I then became obsessed in getting home. Now I truly believe it was the only way that I would survive. Neuro rehab, for my experience. Was not a positive experience. There were some positive things that happened. I did have some great providers, but I also had some really horrible, neglectful care. My desire to go home was made easier to want to be home based on that incompetent care I received at the new rehab facility that I was living in. Looking back, I'm actually amazed I survived with them as long as I did, to be honest, which I fully attribute to my family being actively involved with me on a daily basis and aware of all my care. The mistakes made by the center were well-documented And not even part of the irrational part of my experiences. So I can sort those out from each other. Sad, but true. I remember crying a lot. Even once I got home. It's like I just couldn't stop crying. Even if I wasn't feeling sad, I just had bottomless tears. It's like the tears wouldn't stop flowing. I would cry at the littlest things, whether it was positive or not. I was also, apparently, based on stories I've heard from my family, inappropriate with things I would say to random people outside of the house. Though that part I also don't remember. And maybe that's a good thing. I know that I was irritable. I was impatient. And my emotions were all over the place all of the time. Okay, okay. I guess I can't even say were or was or put that in the past tense. Because I still have challenges with irritability, being impatient, and my emotions being all over the place all of the time. I remember, though, in the beginning specifically, and throughout the first two to three years, feeling a lot of anger, just feeling angry a lot. Sounds bothered me. Smells bothered me. Noise bothered me. The sun coming in through the windows bothered me. The presence, the mere presence of people around me bothered me. Yet at the same time, I was so glad to be with my family again. And at that same time as well, I still felt incredibly lonely. Foods and snacks that I liked before, suddenly I was repulsed by. The smell of certain things cooking would make me throw up. I just could not stand it. Things that I didn't like before, and you could not have even paid me to touch or eat, I now had an interest in. And found them desirable. Yes. I know. I know. Very confusing. It was confusing for me too. And often created a sense of. Comedy. In the family. Like you'll never believe. What mom was able to eat today. Or what she had an interest. In having. Or you'll never believe that. Mom doesn't even like this, and that's her favorite. But having to depend on them for literally every part of my life, every part of my existence, it was depressing. And I hated it when I heard providers say, Oh, well, the feelings you're having, it's just because you're depressed you have depression. Well, of course I'm depressed. I can't walk. I can't do things for myself. That's not something that generally makes someone feel excited and happy and joyful. I was angry about all the thinking and focus that I had to force myself to try and do when dealing with the insurance company at the insurance process in general and how they made everything a fight or argument and the lack of cooperation, the lack of information that should have been given to my family and having to battle for even the smallest benefits I was entitled to by the laws in the state that I was in and am in. Honestly, the insurance hoops and mind games, their pathological lies to me and my providers, and their organized strategic delays seriously hindered my recovery process, caused me to develop nerve damage with untreated injuries and a whole cesspool of other issues. But that's another topic for another day. That anger, however, and that feeling of unjust treatment and actual injustice of it all, while truly justified, admittedly, lingers still to this day and is something I am constantly working on overcoming on a continual basis. This is, however, different anger than the anger that comes in a flash as a result of the biological changes that have resulted from the head injury. Sometimes it can be challenging to tell them apart. Other times it's quite clear. Let's talk about that anger, that rage. It can be a nearly perfect day. Low pain threshold, nice weather, nothing stressful going on, no fear triggers, nothing but smooth sailing, and then BAM! I'm pissed off. I don't care. I don't want to listen. No, I don't want your help. I just don't give a shit about anything or anybody. And you better not piss me off more than I already am. Do I make myself clear? Suddenly... And for no seeming reason, my entire body is angry. Every sensation in my body is mad. My face gets red. I feel tightness in my chest, a knot in my stomach. Any potential appetite disappears. Teeth are clenched and that desire to suddenly just knock everything off the counter or the table or whatever is close to me magnifies. That anxious feeling that makes me feel completely out of control rears its ugly head. That sudden feeling that all I want to do is destroy whatever is in my path at that very moment. You know, I think of those rage rooms they have where you can go and take a bat and literally break everything around you in that room. Man, that sounds so enticing for the emotion that's in that moment. Yep, that is the mental picture I get of what I feel like with my environment at that moment. Now, I don't act on it. Well, let's say not often anyway. Though I have had some admitted slips where it has taken me to places I would not go normally. Then as quickly as the feeling comes, it will go. And I'm left feeling fine again. Yet now, I'm exhausted, fatigued, and, if I acted out in any way, often admittedly verbally, then shame, and possibly embarrassment, comes with that as well, and regret. I've learned over the years in my recovery to recognize when those feelings are happening or sneaking up on me now, and I can even identify the majority of the time when there is something happening or something I need to avoid to keep it from happening. sometimes that anger it's spontaneous, and sometimes it's like a rolling boil that just simmers for minutes hours, or even days, despite whatever I might try to put it away. I have gotten better about communicating my feelings and needs around those experiences too. I have gotten better about examining it and doing a safety checklist with myself when those extraordinary emotions just pop up. To remind me that everything is not as normal as it appears. And that this new normal part of me, I have come to realize I have to embrace and accept. Yet not an excuse and work diligently at managing And thank goodness it has become less and less active as time goes on. Thank God. However, I am acutely aware that it's still there. Lurking in the shadows of my happiness, my healing, and my ongoing attempts to be positive, live with positivity, and move on with my life. There are times when I look at my husband and I say, listen, I am suddenly feeling really irritable or angry or pissed off, and I I don't know why. Nothing's wrong. I'm not upset with anyone. I'm just super irritable or mad, or angry, or whatever emotion presents itself at the time. Sometimes it's enough just to be aware of it. Sometimes I have to remove myself completely from whatever environment I'm in at the present moment. Sometimes it just goes away as smoothly as it came. And other times it will just last all day without any seeming rhyme or reason. In those moments, I have learned to communicate, avoid, and manage. Now what I mean by that with communication is I communicate my emotions to who I'm with at the time. I have those conversations like I did with my husband. I purposefully avoid situations that i know will exacerbate those emotions for example if i'm feeling frustrated with people or crowds then i avoid going to the store during peak times i try to try to go earlier in the morning or later at night or times when i know that there won't be as much of a crowd if i'm having those emotions i Will sit and wait before driving until rush hour is over, or leave earlier so I avoid the rush hour altogether, so I'm not bothered by all the traffic, and so my anxiety level is not increased based on what other people are doing in those situations so I've learned to man to manage and to be able to give attention to those things and avoid the things that exacerbate. Now, does that work all the time? Absolutely not. But I have become better at managing it through awareness, through educating myself, and really just incorporating various coping strategies to help calm myself. Or let it run its course and being mindful and aware not to take those emotions out on those around me. Now obviously this is, should always be the goal and you should put forth the effort not to do so. Yet I can attest that that is not always the end result. I don't want to give the illusion here that this is a fix-all that communicating and managing and avoiding will solve the problem and always work successfully because it doesn't. However, it does work the majority of the time. And I've become much more efficient at successfully managing these experiences. being in a constant state of silent hidden irritability or frustration is exhausting when you have other emotions that are existing at the same time that now that makes for an interesting day if you have that irritability come up or that anger and you're having a really good day and you're in a good mood and you're feeling joyful and happy and productive. Those emotions butting up against each other can be really interesting and intriguing. For example, things are well, I'm feeling happy, accomplished. I get dressed, I do all the things in the morning I need to do. I'm following my list and completing things in a reasonable time and then bam something unexpected happens like a phone call that's lengthy or a change in plans last minute event change or a canceled appointment or perhaps i forgot about an appointment because i was so focused on doing all the other things or someone swerves out in front of us on the highway Okay, you get the point, right? This causes an instant irritability that then consumes me. And it's a close cousin with anger. And when those two emotions team up together, that can cause a tsunami of emotions and chain reactions that just kill the mood of the whole day or the evening at that point. It becomes a kind of feeling of why bother? Now, this is something that literally makes it difficult to interact in social situations and environments with a lot of visual and auditory stimulation. stimulation. As sometimes, those can be triggers in and of themselves, even without people being involved. I have also developed what appears to be, I don't even know what to call it. I guess I would refer to it as obsessive compulsive traits since the accident, which comes with its own level of irritation and needed structure that adds a really unique complexity to everything else altogether. But again, That may be a topic. Maybe I should explore that a bit more on a different day. Maybe when I'm not feeling so angry. Anger to tears. Let's talk about that. Don't mistake someone's tears as always being for sadness, despair, grief, or some positive, wonderful emotion. No, those are not tears of happiness. Sometimes I am so angry and rageful, and I'm struggling to manage it. I am struggling to control myself often by staying silent, but not necessarily. That it has literally nowhere to go but out my eyes through tears. If I get so angry that I am crying, man, you, you're in trouble. That is truly the time to give me my space Back TFO for real. That level of anger is not something you want to mess with. I mean, shoot, not even I want to mess with it or deal with it. And I'm the one going through it. That kind of anger. Now that can come on suddenly. Or it may even be a domino effect of multiple issues over the day or over time. And this, this is not one of those emotions that can just smoothly disappear and it almost always leaves a trail of turmoil and destruction in its path. Sometimes as a result of no filters. No, filters? Are we talking about air conditioning? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Lack of filters is something you hear a lot with a person who has experienced a brain injury, a trauma, or even seen something traumatic. Now, when I worked with emergency medical services, EMS, and law enforcement years ago, We would call this kind of thing at a scene an excited utterance. That's when someone tells you exactly what happened before they have had the time to think about the after effects of them telling the truth in that moment. When people are traumatized, they are at their most vulnerable and will often blurt out the truth at the height of their fear shock, or trauma before they've even had a time to think about any potential consequences of them saying what they said or process it at all. The difference, though, between excited utterances in the moment and the lack of filters from injury is not really that different. With no filters or reduced filters, a person says exactly what they are thinking or impulsively states what they are thinking without filtering it. Many of us are able to think things that we don't say out loud because, well, it's rude or maybe it's not appropriate or just plain thoughtless. Just because something's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. When a person has no filters or reduced filters as a result of an injury, usually brain-related, then they lack the capacity to control what they are saying when. Now, sometimes this can be really quite comical. It can create some funny moments. Sometimes it can be quite insulting. Sometimes when they say something, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And sometimes it can be downright just cruel. The whole no filter thing, though, is spontaneous. And often it causes surprise even to the person saying whatever it is they just said. I mean, you may often hear someone say, oh, my gosh, I totally didn't mean to say that. Or I said that. Or. I don't know where that came from. That's not even what I was thinking. Or be completely unaware they did or said anything out of the way at all. Yes, 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 I know. Confusing, confusing, I know. This is something that can make a shy person appear liberated or an aggressive person appear like more of a jerk than they were before their injury. Let's face it, not all things that are thought are worth saying or even should be said for that matter. It's just not effective in communicating with people, building relationships, to just speak with wild abandon. Now, I'm not talking about being blunt. This is more like blunt Mary's thoughtless, Mary's direct aggressiveness, without consideration of the consequences, all combined. It just doesn't always bode well as a final result. This can make people angry or standoffish from the injured individual, and then the person that is acting with no filters truly does not understand why someone is mad at them, what they did wrong, or why no one wants to be around them. Other times, if a person is aware of speaking without filters, they can be truly embarrassed, ashamed, or feeling humiliated at what just came out of their mouth. Either way, it can create a feeling of anger and irritability at not just others for acting angrily towards them, but anger and irritability at oneself as well. Finally, acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Yes, sometimes acknowledgement can be a bitter pill to swallow. and sometimes you just don't know what to say which brings me to aphasia and having difficulty speaking aphasia can cause a brain injured person to become irritated or upset as well the that general feeling of you know just not being able to communicate feeling like you're not being understood. And not only not being able to communicate, but not being able to communicate effectively can be very overwhelming. The short description of aphasia is that it is a language disorder that affects a person's ability to communicate. It affects their ability to understand the written and spoken language. And it can occur suddenly after a stroke or head injury, or even develop slowly from a growing brain tumor or disease. A lot of times when someone has had a head injury, it's difficult for them to read or understand the words that are on paper due to aphasia. Being able to process those words and make sense of them just ceases to exist. Now, that is something that is treatable and can be treated successfully for the majority of patients. But it can take a lot of time. Okay, okay. Now that we have talked about my opinions and my personal experiences, now that I've laid myself bare before you, and you know that I'm not always the happy, positive Karen that i do have an anger streak and some of these emotions that i have trouble dealing with let's discuss science the proven track record to really just help us understand just what we were what we are dealing with what other patients are dealing with as well what their families are dealing with well science says a brain injury can change the way people feel or express emotions. An individual with a traumatic brain injury can have several types of emotional problems, especially if there is damage to the frontal lobe and limbic system. In some cases, a brain injury can impact self-awareness, and that lack of self-awareness is a very common outcome for people who have sustained brain injuries with that frontal lobe damage. Their inability to self-monitor and self-correct behavior can lead to some really challenging behaviors, can lead to them acting out and having sudden bursts of emotion that they don't seem to be able to make any effort to control. The person may not acknowledge they even have Trouble with anger, and they may blame others for provoking them. And sometimes other people do provoke them, which can make managing that more difficult. It may take carefully phrased feedback and really patient conversation, plenty of time for the person to gradually realize that anger management is an issue and needs attention. From the outside, though, it often looks like the aggressive behavior comes out of nowhere. That perhaps they might even be unpredictable. However, most of the time, it is triggered by emotional or physical discomfort. Some people may experience emotions very quickly and intensely but with very little lasting effect, that come-and-go feeling I talked about earlier. This is called emotional lability. This is often caused by a damage to the part of the brain that controls emotions and behavior. In some cases, the brain injury can cause sudden episodes where the person is just literally crying or even laughing. These emotional expressions or outbursts, they may not have any relationship to the way the person feels at all. In other words, they may cry when feeling sad or laugh without feeling happy. In some cases, their emotional expression may not even match the situation that they're in. For example, they may laugh at a sad story or start laughing at a funeral. They may cry at a joyous occasion or something that is humorous. Usually, the person cannot control these expressions of emotion because it's a physiological response to their injury. The brain injury survivor, let's face it, in some ways, they are a different person. They're not who you knew. Before their injury. They don't even know themselves. What makes them angry. May even be different than what used to make them upset. Or angry. And this makes it really challenging for the family to be able to navigate around their emotions. Because they don't know who they are anymore. Because they appear different. Family members of individuals with a brain injury often describe the injured person as having a short fuse or flying off the handle, being irritable easily, or even having a quick temper. Now, when we talk about science, studies show that up to 71% of people with brain injuries are frequently irritable. 71 percent the injured person may yell they may use bad language they may throw objects they may slam fists into things they may slam doors they may threaten to hurt family members or others they may hurt themselves usually parts of the brain that normally inhibit those angry feelings and behavior have been damaged and it does not do its job well or as well. This means that the person's anger threshold is lowered so that they may become angry more easily and even more intensely over something that would not anger the average individual. People with brain injuries still have legitimate reasons to get angry they may have received improper care things may have been documented improperly they may have been treated poorly it's really hard to tell if they have expressed their anger inappropriately their angry actions should be dealt with separately from their legitimate complaint. They should not get their way just because they made a fuss, but the complaint should not be ignored either. There are two issues to address then, the inappropriate behavior and the legitimate complaint. It is important not to dismiss a complaint based solely on how that complaint was delivered. Brain injury survivors often have impaired judgment, which can contribute to anger problems. Cognitive rehabilitation and counseling for judgment can help in the majority of those cases, though. there are usually several causes acting in combination that can cause a person to be angry. And we'll discuss more of that in part two of this series, The Tsunami and Hurricane. Thank you for listening to our episode today. Be sure and listen to the second part of this series for the tsunami and hurricane. You can find us at www.hopetbi.com. Until next time, when we share more opportunities to offer hope.